Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on the podcast, we sit down with Joe Saxton to discuss her thoughts on where the church is headed, as well as insights into women in leadership. Joe is the author of several books, as well as an outspoken voice for women leaders through her Azer Collective Initiative, as well as a digital leadership coaching community connecting women around the world. Make sure to subscribe to her podcast called Lead Stories, Tales of Leadership and Life. You can check out more about Joe at joesaxton.com. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us. Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. This is Brenna out here in Albany, Oregon. And as always, I've got my friend Alan in Knoxville, Tennessee. How you doing today, Alan? Uh, good. It's a little weird to be on this side of the introduction. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how to handle that. We flipped the script. We yeah, flipped we flip the, the script. script. It's, it's, uh, it's just a little strange, but no, I'm good. Uh, I think I'm supposed to say the weather is fine. Oh, right? is that that's the typical what, yes. answer? Yeah. Yes, the weather's fine. Great. <laughs> we would ask Terry, but Terry is off gallivanting around the country somewhere. Uh, and we said earlier, if we were better friends, we would know where. But I'm not sure. Do you know where he's at, Al? I actually think he's in Virginia somewhere. That's, oh, my, that's my guess. You're, you're a much better friend than I. Uh, but today we have the the privilege of having maybe one of my personal heroes on the podcast today. And she is coming back for her second time on the podcast. And I, this is another reason that I do the podcast, just to be able to interview Joe Saxton. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> all terrible. It's all a long ploy. But Joe, for me, has been uh, just such a timely influence because as I was processing my own leadership, she provided avenues for that and also a winsome way in which to walk that because it can be very challenging and as as a woman in leadership to step into new places and but to do it with in the way of Jesus and Joe gave me an example of that and so i'm just you know i woke up so excited this morning and funny story i was on a call with my new colleagues at 100 movements publishing and i was just letting them know oh hey i'm going to interview joe saxon today and my colleague helen said well tell her hi for me and I said, oh, you know, Joe. And she said, well, yes, she was my youth pastor mm-hmm. when I was 11. Yes. <laughs> love that so, girl. Oh, yeah. sh- Helen and Anna send their love to you, Joe, mm. uh, from, from the, across the pond. That's wonderful. Helen was my mm. girl. I love that one. I love her very much. She's fantastic. <laughs> she great. said that you and Chris deserved all the treasures in heaven for oh. what you put up with and how you led <laughs> <laughs> that ministry. I'd agree, actually, on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that I deserve anything, just, you know, they were memorable. They were memorable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, you have been leading faithfully for years across countries in many different capacities in in missional movement, in church contexts, outside of church con- context, and you have had a lens that 
not many people bring to the table. And, you know, as we're looking at what's ahead for us in missional movement and reimagining the church post-COVID in this new era, uh, a lot of the voices that we hear automatically <laughs> are, like we say on the podcast, they're male, pale, and stale. Like it's the same voices that we're hearing over and over again. Your podcast last season was so impactful for us. Um, and we, we really value your voice that you have led faithfully in the missional movement and in these arenas for a long time. So we wanted to start by just kind of some big picture horizon questions. Like, what do you see going forward? Where the church is at right now? Where missional movement needs to move uh, for this next season of the church? Gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> it is. Could that's you just solve all of our problems in the next five minutes? Thanks. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, yeah, that'd be lovely. I'd, I'd love to know the answers to those as well. I think I probably see what you guys see, what everybody sees in terms of this era. I was laughing with someone um, a while back and saying, do you remember when we thought this thing was going to last two weeks and all of that kind of stuff? Or when it was when the, it was said it was going to last two weeks or six months. This era has, has shifted us, broken us, changed us at a molecular level. Um, do you know what I mean? Our ways of being and I, in ways that I think we know and ways in which we still don't know. I remember in the early, in the early days, less like two years ago, talking about COVID being an accelerator and we're beginning to see what it's accelerated in terms of church decline, what it's accelerated in terms of use of technology. Do you know what I mean? All of those sorts of things. Um, but also people are bone tired, mm. like deeply, deeply tired. And so the impact of being deeply tired for a long time, the impact of um, wrestling with mental well-being for a long time, with your children um, rep um, wrestling with mental well-being, with your parents processing mental well-being, with economic instability, which seems to be the the thing of the day, or or global instability in terms of wars and all this kind of stuff. I think there is a lot of anxiety. Um, that's not a shock to any of us because many of us feel it. And so as we as we ask ourselves what it means to be missional, I do think there is some of it. I think we have to go back to basics and remind ourselves that God always called people in times of upheaval and in incredible uncertainty. And that that's not a shock to him, you know, and that he is he's equipped for that. But I, I think at this moment for us, we will have to ask ourselves again where our tendencies towards nostalgia and versus living and leading prophetically well, what that means, what that looks like, we might think, and and to break that down, I think we have to break it down in terms of, are we leading nostalgic or wanting to lead prophetically, but we're still thinking of our economic engines nostalgically, <laughs> you know, That's good. Yeah. we're still thinking of our volunteer body nostalgically. Uh, uh, what what are the bits uh, where we're realizing at a new level? Oh, this has changed too. This has changed too. This has changed too. I have changed too. The things I want have changed too. How I um my economic realities have changed. And I, and I think for all of us, and again, I don't think this is a shock or anything particularly revolutionary. I think we're all doing it already. Is we're having to take a long hard look at the world as the dust is slowly beginning to move and clear to say what are we dealing with here. And I think we would do well to spend a lot more time in observation and uh, ask ourselves a lot of questions or ask of the context that we're in a lot of questions, like who's there? What do they care about? What are they feeling? Do they look like me or do they not look like me? What assumptions do I bring to this table as I seek to be missional? 
what is so 2019, it's probably not worth doing anymore. Um, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? And, and, and yeah. unfortunately, 2019, we might as well be saying 2009. We might as well be saying 2000 because so much has happened in this condensed period and is still happening. And so I think that's, I think there's an op- observation that's really, really important. I think, and I, in fact, I'd probably say all of the things I'm about to say come under observation. So I think there's the observation of the context, I think, and and to ask ourselves, what does that mean? You know, the sons of Issachar knew how to read the times, Do you know, what I mean, all that kind of stuff. And if you read it two years ago, it's not the same. If you read it a year ago, it's not the same. It And it, and it changes in weird fits and starts. And so I think, I think that's, so if you, if you're confused, it's not because you failed, <laughs> it's because it's confusing oh, right good. now. I think you have to observe yourself. You know, there are some of us who were very aware of the pressures on our mental well-being in 2020. There are some of us who have come to un- come to realize it in 2022. And I think you have to take a look at and say, who have you become in this era? You know, who have you become? Are you more cynical? Are you more jaded? Are you more zealous? Are you more, have you given up? Are you more disappointed? And again, I'm not saying that because you've got to be this or that or the other, just pay attention to who you've become. Maybe you don't want to do this anymore. Maybe you want to, but you can't afford to. Maybe, you know, your kids have grown a whole three years and the whole world has changed for that. Do you know what I mean? All kinds of things. I think we've just got to observe our... Well, so we're observing our landscape and observing, and in that, I guess, observing our context and now observing where we're at. Then the third one is, is again, knowing that God is not shocked by this era. And I'm, and looking at, Je- I think I'm, I've been struck by Jesus' dependency hmm. and his, the degree of dependence on the father, not just his devotion, but his dependence on the father. And we may be devoted, but are we dependent so John 5, 19, I only do what I see the father doing. Can you tell, can you, do you know what the father's doing in your neighborhood? Do you know? And so, so you know where to join him or, or have you just kept on inviting him to join you in what you're doing? I think those are questions that we have to ask ourselves again, because so much doesn't make sense. Do you know what I mean? We can call it innovation, yeah. but sometimes that's just, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm trying something and that's okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, yeah. I, it's not, I, that's not even shade to it. But but I know for, for me and many of my friends, it, these past few years have been like throwing things at a wall to see if it sticks, watching it stick for a while and then slide all the way down mm-hmm. um, again and again and again and again. And you've got to do it because how else do you explore? You've got to discern by movement in some way. But if there's a lot riding on it, it's a real vulnerable thing to do. And each time you pick something up and you throw even slower and less and less committed because, you know, the, rather than the disappointment of it not working. And um, so I so I think there is something about observing what the father's doing. And, and as as such, my reflection on that then is what does it look what does our. How can I put this? If you if you're going to see what the father's doing, you've got to be able to recognize him. You've got to know what he looks like, you know what he's like. You've got to know him. You've got to have some degree of connection. So I want to ask how our connection with the father is at this time and the depth of our relationship. And um, I'm finding that prayer really does matter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and and because this era is arduous. I can't, I, that's the word that I can come back to. It's arduous. And it might be arduous for a very long time. Mm. And I'm not saying that to be kind of negative or cynical. It's just that why do we think we're exempt? 
yeah. from it. It might be arduous for a very long time. Do you, is your spiritual capacity ready for that? Mm. You know, for the time it takes to rebuild or to reimagine and to reimagine in real time in terms of how you engage with your community whilst holding down your job, whilst supporting your friends and family, whilst all these things, do you have the spiritual capacity for that? Are you, are you looking for a book with all the answers? Because the books that explain this era probably haven't been written. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we don't know what we're doing. But there are some principles from throughout the eras that that can help us. And um, and so I would I wonder how how our I mean it's easy to always say, I wonder how your relationship with God is doing, but honestly, it's his mission. I mean, it's worth asking. And it's worth asking what it looks like to follow him as he shows up in the middle of all the garbage that is this era. That's beautiful. First off, you just dropped uh, bombs left and right and a three-point sermon that any any pastor could just walk away with right now. That was <laughs> awesome. You just, you just, somebody's going to preach that on Sunday or something because that was that was pretty amazing. Uh, but two, I didn't realize it till you just started talking. But before we got on, I was telling Brenna that I've had four conversations with pastors uh, last night, uh, one, and then three today. And each one was, one was thinking about firing a staff. One was somebody who wanted to leave their denomination. He's a denominational leader. One was uh, getting fired on his staff. who's a pastor got fired. Another one was wanting to leave again. And all of those conversations, when I talked to them, were around, uh, basically ended up being about, hey, this is what church was. And this is what church is heading towards, right? And that was the core of the issue is that hey, we, we need to start moving this way, but this is what, and it, different different uh, yeah. levels of that. So my question for you is, is kind of with all of that going on, what words of encouragement would you give our brothers and sisters in the missional movement right now as they're looking at that? <laughs> it's funny because the only thing that came to mind was buck, buckle up, buck up. But, uh, <laughs> and I don't know if that's very encouraging at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. there, there's some honesty in that. There's truth in that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't know that I have, you know, I, it's hard to say because on one level I want to be encouraging, but I also feel like, you know, sometimes you say things which are really brutal and you're like, here's my encouragement yeah. to you. And you're like, that wasn't encouraging. You just gave me glass <laughs> to chew on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. So I'll say, I'll, I'll share some thoughts and, 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 I'm sure we'll have we'll t- we'll find a nice bow at some point, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I I I think the nostalgia you don't want to hold on to is whatever the and when I say you, me, all of us, the nostalgia we don't want to hold on to is whatever we may have thought or considered was our missional heyday. And whether that in either in the amongst the wider church and all that kind of stuff, not because we're under siege. That's weird. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm what I mean is whatever your metrics of success were, it's important to, for your own freedom, for your own peace, for your own sense of security. Leave them at the foot of the cross. Mm. Just just leave them there. If you thought, if, do you know what I mean? And sometimes we don't know what those expectations were until they're completely dashed. And that, but I but I say that because I think right now the metric we want to, one of the primary metrics we probably want to hold on to is, are we being faithful mm-hmm. to as, in as much as we know right now, in as much as we, are we being faithful with what we believe God is calling us to do? If we can be certain of that, I think we're doing well. I really do. Are you being faithful to what the Lord's asked you? If you don't know what the Lord's asked you, are you being faithful to finding out what the Lord's asked you of you in this time? And have you checked in since 2019 about that, by the way? Um, yeah. But, you know, because I, 
and I, and I think no matter how shiny and how clear and strategic we all may sound, we don't know. We don't know. And we don't know how this is going to work. But are we being faithful with with what's in our hands, what's the relationships that are in our lives, with the people that we know, the neighborhood that we're in? Are we being faithful listeners to people in the midst of a, str a struggling day? Are we being faithful witnesses and um, and like bear, do our lives bear witness to the grace of God in 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 ways even even through the fire and even through the storm, even when you don't feel it? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think I've come to value faithfulness for more and more, even in because so much ha hasn't worked. So much hasn't worked that all I can say is, did I, I Lord, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. I thought I was moving in the direction. And although I, I say there's no blueprint, I really, really mean I want you to provide one. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so I, I think I, I would encourage us to consider what faithfulness means. I, and I think that's beautiful because in this conversation, there is so many things, even before COVID, that mm. didn't work. Yeah. Right? Oh, gosh, There's yeah. so many different experiments. And to me, that was the beautiful part of it. I It drove me nuts when people would come to me and you, they'd start poking at this whole, what's this whole missional thing? And then say, well, give me some proof of concepts. I'm like, I give you some failures. <laughs> I give you a lot of things that might have worked and kind of worked and stuff that worked for a season, but it didn't really work. And I actually think that's the beautiful part of it is, is releasing the need to produce, the need to um, create this thing. And, oh, look, I did it. But it's, it is. It's that, it is that dependence on God, that desperation that says, if this is going to work, it's going to be because of God. That's it. Um, I'm called to be faithful. I'm called to the obedience. That's, that's actually beautiful. Well, Joe, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the conversation for just uh, a little bit here. I'm gonna make a, a a bit of a turn because last time you were on the podcast, we had you talking about your book, Ready to Rise, and what that was all about, and about empowering women so that they could change the landscape out there and women leadership. And we took your advice, <laughs> and so <laughs> this is the big reveal about this season. We have only been platforming women in leadership this entire season, and we're just going to continue doing that. We haven't told anybody. <laughs> You're the first one to know. Uh, <laughs> I'm on it. So, yeah, yeah. And so we just said, hey, this is what we're going to do because we want to We want to be able to do that. We want to say, hey, w we're actually going to take this seriously um, and not just make it a a token or, or something like that. We want to do it seriously. And you know, in that process where, you know, we're working on taking steps, we're working on ways that Forge America can be more mutual. Um, but just doing a podcast with all female voices for one season is is not going to create mutual, you know, mutual leadership. Uh, it's going to be a step. It's going to be more voices. Uh, it, it's moving toward that. But this is a continual work. This is a continual asking of ourselves where are we working toward mutuality? How are we working toward that? Where are the gaps uh, in mutuality? And I was thinking about it this morning and I was remembering in my process in gaining or learning more about my own leadership and stepping into more of my leadership. I noticed a lot of people thought I was on the same page with them or thought um, that we were being mutual, but if they would have asked me, <laughs> we weren't. And so there's there's layers of questions here. I think we need to be able to ask ourselves about how we're stepping into this, what steps we're taking, making them practical, simple, like, hey, a practical step is we can only interview female voices. But then beyond that, like, what's the next step and where are we continuing to lead into? So 
you bring such a powerful voice to this. You, you've dedicated your life right now to uh, strengthening women's arms in leadership. And so I'm wondering to ask you what, you know, short-term steps, but also long-term questions that we can keep coming back to, to keep listening and learn, leaning into uh, leading together, um, as Denny Strickland says, better together. Um, I think, I think you have to ask yourself some really ruthless questions. I think anybody does in this environment. It's like, I think one of the questions is why isn't it changing? Mm. Just ask if it's because you do what you believe in. You do what you yeah. believe in. So why isn't it changing? And then, and not as a kind of crack a whip, condemn yourself, but ask, but genuinely why? And then maybe to ask that question of people around you, because there's only so long we can feign helplessness uh, without curiosity, you know? Um, so I think that's a question to ask and ask. I mean, it depends on your, it depends on your context, doesn't it? If it at an organizational level, then it's like, what are the metrics? What are the goals? Do you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. And, but I think you, you have to ask yourself about pipelines and what's your, what's the leadership pipeline and is it, what does the leadership pipeline currently produce? Does it look like where you want it, what you want it to produce? And if not, why not? Yeah, and, and with, with no, no goal to shame anybody or anything, it's just, looking at it it's like if it you know are all the ingredients there to produce the outcome you want you know if you have a carrot cake and there's no carrots in it it might be a lovely cake it just ain't a carrot cake it's just and and it's not like oh what a terrible chef no it's just not got all the ingredients that's all so have if you don't have all the ingredients and if you don't know what the ingredients are then you have to go find out it's not enough to say oh i really love the ingredients you got to find out why you haven't got it and you got to find out why you consistently don't get it because otherwise you you otherwise you just um repeat the same processes and and you stay frustrated because you want something to change and you keep on doing things that that aren't changing i i would ask what assumptions and i and i think there sometimes needs to be conversations which open up the assumptions because if people are like i don't get it we're welcoming and all that kind of stuff and I'm like well do the women involved feel that do they feel and could they tell you without fear of retribution <laughs> what it actually is like to exist in your environment. Is there a way you can find out, honestly, without asking your spouse, ask your spouse too, but ask everybody else as well. I think I, I, I sometimes think we have to be a bit more pointed in our own questioning on, on things like that. Cause if it's not working, it's like, why isn't it working? And, and I don't, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it because, Oh, we were just asking the wrong question. Or we just assumed that because we are, because we're, we're for it, that everybody feels that we're for it. Mm. Or we're expecting people, we're expecting this to take a year when actually it's a 10 year work. And there are 10 years of things that we need to do to change the, to change the nature of the game. Or I, we assumed that if women wanted more opportunity, they'd say so. They'd say they wanted it and they wouldn't, you know, if they wanted to be mentored, they'd, they'd ask. Um, I remember having a conversation with a guy years ago about that saying, you know, when leaders come to me, he, and cause he was saying why he wasn't investing in women leaders. And he said, and he said, you know, if they, he goes, I have people calling me all the time, telling me they want my input, all that kind of stuff that, you know, they're all, they happen to be guys and stuff. They happen to be guys. And he goes, if the, if, and we were talking about a particular couple of women in, 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 um, in the context we were talking about, he goes, if they really want something, why aren't they asking? What? And I said, so you're telling me if a single woman calls you and says she wants to spend time on her own with you to learn more about your leadership, um, 
you're, you're going to go with that. Because here's what I know what you'd do. You'd avoid that call. You'd call me to come and fix it, sort it out, sort something out for you. And you'd say it was a problem. So tell me again why this isn't happening. You, you know, um, tell me again the assumption you have. You have an I'm not saying you shouldn't have an open door to the people you say you do, but don't then challenge them. Don't, because you got rules. You got rules that these women can't get past and you haven't created an alternative environment. I'm not saying change your rules. I'm saying work out what you're going to do about the environment rather than complain when they don't navigate the obstacle course that you set out for them. So I, I so it sometimes it just requires us to do some more questioning and maybe ask people who are like us and ask people who are not like us, ask the women in your environment why they don't want to do this or why it's so hard. They'll tell you if they feel safe, if they feel they can't, they'll tell you. And they'll tell you if they think you're going to do anything about it as well. I think, I, I, I think robust questioning, because otherwise you can you can get external and go to. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't read the books and all these sorts of things. What I'm saying is your community has its own dynamics, has its own family system, all these kinds of things. And so they they are your best data. You, you would have been a, a masterful uh, surgeon. <laughs> by the way, because you just cut right to it. Like, I mean, you're just like, let's, let's just get in there and do this thing. You would either been the best doctor or the worst doctor of all time. Like I, I, I'm going on worst because no. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of blood. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but you would have got stuff done. You'd have been like, look, you need to change your diet. You need to do this or you're going to die in six months. And it would have been done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that might've been, that yeah. might've been and the you, approach. Okay. And you told us, you said this was going to be ruthless, but I thought that was, that was brilliant. I thought that was really good. But one of the things I like too, is you started at this at kind of a high level, but then you got really practical really quick. You're like, Hey, look at your systems, look at your pipeline. You got to actually evaluate that, ask these really hard questions. And one of the things I enjoy is that on your website, you did put this little ebook out there called advocating for women's leaders. Like, mm -hmm. hey, Thank you for reminding me I did that. I appreciate <laughs> it. I really appreciate you for that. It was great. It was great. Did you I actually write it? I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's brilliant. As a short little, as a short little thing, all you got to do is sign up for uh, her newsletter, and you get it for free, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's not to love, friends? <laughs> That's right. All right. So on there, you did you you put that on there, and one of the things you talked about at the first part was a sponsor. So could you just kind of define and unpack what a sponsor is? Yeah. Um. And and I I would I like to. I define it as different from a mentor. A mentor gives you advice. Um, I remember hearing this quote, a mentor gives you wise advice, a sponsor gets you to the next level. Mm -hmm. And they are the person who propels your leadership. They're the ones who have credibility of their own and who can go into the room on your behalf and say, hey, you want to think about this person for this role, this opportunity. Have you thought about this person? I, they vouch for you and they push you to places you wouldn't have been by yourself. And often I find when people are asking for mentors what they actually want as sponsors. More often than not, it, when it comes to leadership journeys, I mean, when you talk about life, fine. But when it comes to their leadership trajectory, they're hoping that that mentor will be a sponsor. I'm not saying they yeah. shouldn't either. I, it's just an observation. Yeah, that's really good. And so in the book, you say that a sponsor should do really four things. They should uh, see, support, speak, and sacrifice. It's a great little uh, Baptist four points with all the alliteration. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> Love me so, see, so actually see uh, women, you know, actually see what they're doing, support them. You speak up for them. You speak their name when you do that. And then it was that last one. That's where the right hook came in yeah. where you needed to sacrifice. So I guess what does it look like for a sponsor to sacrifice for women in leadership? I think in the end, you have to, if what you value, okay, let me put it this way. If what you value, if within your context, what you value is, is public facing leadership by that, them speaking, them consulting, and you want women's voices, then at some point 
if there are, I mean, on one level, leadership isn't a pie. Do you know what I mean? But if you're used to taking up 60 minutes, using some of that 60 minutes to talk about women leaders is one thing. And it's fine if we're going basic level. But at some point, taking off some of those 60 minutes and making room for someone else to come and consult in it from um, and not just be in the room. Being in the room is great as a beginning, but actually there's gifts, there's authority, there's anointing, there's perspective that that person brings. Do, it just means less of you. They need less of you. You might have to sacrifice your comfort because you don't know how to do this around women. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm not sure I'm meant to be in the same elevator in the same room and all that, blah, blah, blah. Like those have, those have been the problems. <laughs> anyway, but... Um, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. just yeah. the data, friends. Just check the yeah. data. But um, but but you have to sacrifice your, and, and your ease. Do you know what I mean? It's just, so you have to think of new things. And it might be harder work to find them. It might be, it, it, particularly if you don't know where they are, it might be harder work to find them. It might cost you money because you have to send, You maybe you don't have vehicles which are developing your women leaders, so you have to send them places. And stuff. It will cost you time because you have to find them and then find out the ways in which their leadership um, thrives. And let me help. Let me make it clear for you: the kind of things they need are exactly what men need on one level. It's just that we are socialized to not think about how those things with guys are taken care of. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Good. They they are men are parents too, mm-hmm. but it tends to be their partner or or family member who's taking care of said children. And that men get burnt out too. I mean, they they wear a lot of hats too. It's just that there's a lot of unpaid labor that's making that take take place. And I'm not saying that. Do you know what I mean? And I'm I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying what we're, when we're talking about women leaders, it's actually not that unique. Mm. Um, it's not that unique. I would. Whew. So I think this. So sacrificing. I think that you've got to get secure just in case she's better than you at something. Mm. But that's true with the sponsoring anybody. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to sponsor someone, can that per- is that person allowed to be better than you? Are they allowed to be a better communicator, a better writer, a better consultant, a better emotional leader? Are they allowed or are they there to make you look good? Are they allowed to outgrow you? Um, are they allowed? Are, I mean, you know, and, and again, I don't think that's just about women. I think that's just period succession. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I Succession as in not the TV show, which is a trip. But... Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I've never watched a show with so many unlikable people. Oh. And yet and and yet still be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. gonna be the fifth S succession um, there at yeah. sacrifice. Oh my gosh. So I think that it's sacrificing your comfort zones, sacrificing your opportunities. It may be, you know, if there's an event that has four spaces. Maybe, may, and and you're the one who always takes it. Maybe you're just given the introduction, and that that person's going to take a role. And we, and I, I again, I it's hard to speak prescriptively um, because our contexts are so unique. But what would it cost you? What would it cost you to raise up another leader? Mm-hmm. You know, what voices would you listen to? What are you for? If you're going to sponsor and sacrifice, maybe you're putting some of your credibility on the line, saying, "No, guys, we've got to do something about this, and I'm not coming to this event until you start having more women at it." Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or we're not going to keep on doing the bromance thing and all our just hanging out, building relationship things um, with our whiskey and our things late at night, and and that, and and being in an environment where a woman can't feel comfortable being herself in there. Or we are going to do that, but we're going to make sure it's co-ed. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We're going to do that because that's us and that's how we function and everything. But we're going to make sure people know they're welcome there. We are not going to, um, we're not going to be lazy about it. Mm-hmm. 
We're not going to make sure, we're not going to make the person who's trying to make them do all the work. We'll do some of the work. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, 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 I, I, sacrifice is inevitable when you're when you're raising somebody up, when you're investing in someone, when you're developing, you know, and, and for leaders, even as, like, again, as parents, we have to do that for our kids. So this isn't, this isn't something that I believe is magical. Yeah. I'm just saying here as well, do it here as yeah. well. So, so what's beautiful about that word sacrifice is because a lot of the times this conversation go, oh, it's just a token. Here's the token person of color. Here's the token woman that you're throwing up there. But I love this idea of saying, no, turn it around. This is the sacrifice that, that, that people are willing to make, that these sponsors are willing to make that should be joyfully glad, glad to make this, this, this actually happen and to move forward to say, this is something that we need to change. The, the culture needs to move beyond this and we're going to do this. That's why I love the word sacrifice. It yeah. was a right hook, but it was, it was really good. And I think, you know, the token thing is just laziness now. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's just yes. lazy. It's like, don't be dumb. Yeah. Don't be dumb. Mm-hmm. Look at the world around you. You say you're missional and that you look at yes. the context. You're telling me you're not going to have women there. Really? Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's like, no, you don't want to be a token. You, and I understand the sentiment. Oh, I don't want to be tokenistic. Then just don't be tokenistic. Do it because it's what you believe in. <laughs> Right. Do it because yeah. have three then. Do you know what I mean? Whatever it takes for you to not feel like you're being pay them properly. Yeah. There's an idea. Or 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 do what don't don't allow the the one liners to to derail you from something in your spirit you sense is the right thing to do. And in your theology is the right thing to do. It doesn't have to be tokenistic. It might feel a bit weird because it's the first time and all that kind of stuff. But then you're if you don't want it to be a token, it doesn't, it's not that you don't do it, it means that you do it a lot. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, the amount of time yes. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be seen as I'm, I don't want it to be seen as a token. So we're doing nothing and reinforcing the status quo <laughs> and going backwards. I'm like, that's not the answer. Oh, <laughs> that's I, good. I love what you just said though, because I think you know sometimes when we step into those places, like, okay, I need to, I need to lift up this other type of leader. I'm trying to bring strength to somebody's arm, and we think it has to be like a new set of rules to make it happen. But to reframe it of, okay, if I was you know, for male leaders, if I was going to sponsor and raise up uh, another male leader, what would I want? Like a younger male leader, uh, what would I do for him? Write those things out. Now, you can apply that same process to a female leader. You may have to be more creative in how those things come about, but you're saying that it's going to be the same. She needs the same things that yeah, uh, any some- leader. Yeah. And there'll be some things which aren't unique and specific to her story because, you know, chances are they won't have encountered some of the challenges she'll have faced just to be in the room and all of that. But that's not a, that's not a reason to not get started. Mm-hmm. That, do you know what I mean? It's, and, and, you know, there'll be, there'll be women leaders who are like you and there'll be women leaders who are not like you in their gifting and the way they present as leaders and all that kind of stuff. Just, whatever the nuance is, it's not a reason to not get started. And also raise up more than one person. Do you know what I mean? We're, this is not American Idol. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? We're yeah. not looking for the one. I thought we didn't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you know what I mean? So so uh, sponsor two at once, sponsor men and women. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Get, decide you're going to invest in three people. And and that it, it's, and it's expanding our imagination. And the things you don't know, then you read the books about women in leadership. Do your do your research. Do your, it. It won't hurt you. It won't. Do you know I mean, it won't damage you. It may not feel as cool, and that you're not reading the the kind of book that everybody says is a must read for our times. But considering they make up half the sky, it's worth your time. Yeah. And considering good. how much women actually do in the church in terms of bankrolling it, 
volunteering it, making it happen. Just show some respect and do the thing. It's not hard. Joe, for, I mean, you have led in spaces that affirmed your leadership and maybe not so much. You have had to find your way. I remember watching a video of you years ago with a whole bunch of missional people around the table. I might have talked about this last podcast, but I remember watching it going, everyone be quiet and let Joe talk. Like it was, it was everything to, for you to get a word in edgewise with the, the guy. So you've walked this, you've, you've lived this, you know, as far as other people investing in you, where have you seen, you know, people sponsor you or where you have seen that show up and being able to sponsor other people? So where have you seen that type of sacrifice and what's been the outcome? What's been the result? I think there have been different chapters in my life where people have. I think one of my first experiences of leadership was when I was in my late teens and I was at Bible college and and I was, I think the the, the nice way to put it was I was a mess. And um <laughs> at the end at the end of the year they took teams on mission and I he said he goes, you're gonna be the assistant leader and I was the youngest by a country mile on the team and and I just and and I was just it, it just arrested my attention that he saw that I had leadership potential in some way and that it did not make his job easier because some of the team were like, why did you pick her? Some out of like jealousy, some out of sheer disbelief. And I understand, and I understand that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and maybe actually more out of disbelief than jealousy to be, to be fair. And yet he absorbed that. He absorbed it all because he knew somewhere in his gut, somewhere in his in his in his prayer life, he felt like this is what she needs to do. So that I think for my ongoing leadership, that was a key moment. Um, there have been times when a leader has has um, in relation to speaking and stuff, just said yes to the the speaking engagement and put me there instead. And that was that was a big one because and and I think when you when when that's you see, for me, this isn't a cool thing to do. This is what I see Barnabas doing in the New Testament. Do you know what I mean? I'd, it's not just like, hey, guys, there aren't enough women around. We need to do something about this. Hey, guys, there aren't enough people of color in your leadership. They're, they're, you've got to do something about it. Oh, you terrible, terrible white men. If you could only see. Do you know what I mean? That's not what this is. And I and that's not that's not what's fueling this. What fuels it for me is when we look at the example of the Bible, when we look at the example of Jesus, and when we look at the early church, this is an integral part about what it means to be a leader. That's why, for me, this is a non-negotiable. Not, I, I don't care about my rights. Do you know what I mean? Not because I don't care about my rights in the sense, but I'm, this isn't a justice thing for me. I mean, it is about justice, but it's actually about Jesus. It is about rights and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not doing this to demand equality. I know who I am. I'm equal. I don't need you to tell me and a position isn't going to tell me that. What it, but what I'm saying is as a leader, if I'm if Jesus is the best at leadership and if Jesus is the best at the missional movement ever, then I want to do it how he did it. And he did not center himself. He invested in people. He gave them opportunities. He watched them fail. He had men and women traveling with him, bankrolling the whole darn thing. He affirmed women publicly as he trained them. He, do you know I mean? And so we see it again and again and again and again. So when I'm thinking as, as a leader, joining God and what he's doing in the world, I'm thinking, well, this is what I see you do. How do I pattern my life after how you did it? And anytime I want to think, oh, well, Jesus is a special one. So he did it different. 
You look at the early church and you look and see again. And Barnabas is my favorite one because just because I like the arc of the character. But again, you see him financially investing. You see him celebrating God's doing something in a new place and he celebrate. You see him getting Paul, who frankly was just random at that point. I mean, do you know what I mean? At that point, he could have he could have been great. He could have been a killer. Nobody knew. But he, he do you know I mean? he trains them and everything. And then you see this exchange around Acts 13 or so where he starts going back in the story and Paul starts coming forward. And at the beginning, it's all Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then it's Paul and Barnabas. And you see him back away and you see him separate with Paul and stuff and then take John Mark under his wing. And so again, for me, I look at this and say, hey, this isn't just an this isn't just a cute alternative idea about leading. This is the lifeblood of our sustainability here. I can't even remember the question you asked now, but um, <laughs> do you know, I, 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 I we don't want to interrupt one. you. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> We're just like, keep going, keep going. You'll have to bring right. me into land. But I think that that for me is why it's it's so important. It's not It's not to make anybody feel bad about having privilege and power because I live in the West. Of course, I, I, I don't have the same privileges and power as my husband, but do I have privilege and power? Yes, I do. Uh, but uh, so it's so it wasn't. Yes, it was the people who sponsored me. I remember the question now. Re yes, it was the people who sponsored me that gave me fuel for this. But actually, it was the Bible. Actually, it was the Bible that gave, that that has been the most compelling, convicting, challenging. This this is something I've got to get my head around. If leadership means anything, if I am committed to leading, if I'm committed, if I really believe in the priesthood of all believers, if I really believe that the job is too big for one person, then that has to show up in how I spend my time and how, how I spend my gifts. And, it, and I think for me, the, now I do have opportunity. Now I do have some random bits of privilege and power and all that. Now I take it seriously. Because I know what it's like to be left on the outside. I know what it like. it's like to be on the margins. I know what it's like to be othered and forgotten. And that still happens from time to time. But in the spaces that I'm in, I will kick a door down for people to go through. I, because why not? And not and again, not not for my not for my rights or even for theirs, but for the extension of the Great Commission. These are people with gifts, men and women, people with gifts, calling and things that I will never be able to do. And frankly, half of them I don't want to do. Um, and that, but even if they are things I want to do. We've got to keep on reproducing leaders with spiritual capacity and who are sure of their giftings and who are working through whatever God is calling them to do for the renewal of all things. Um, that that's uh, that's just crucial, and it can't end with us. Do you know I mean? It can't end with our talent or until we're burnt out. Because once you're out, you're out. Do you know what I mean? You can't. It can't end with our our understanding. But if we can invest it again and again and and um and and be be the kind of person who says, "Hey, have you thought about this person? Have you met this person? Have you? This is what they're doing. If if I can cheer somebody on, um, because I and and Brenna, you, I, I'm going to say this, assuming this about you, but but I'm going to, I. But I only because I I know I've coached this many women leaders. The amount of things we have to get past in our heads just to show up. The amount of things that we have to tell ourselves that we that okay you're the only one in the room and actually no that guy isn't judging you. He's more than fine with you being here. That guy isn't thinking or oh, you're a threat to my marriage. They're fine with you being here. Or even if they are, that doesn't mean whether you should be in the room. Or who do you think you are? Why do you think you're doing this? 
Are you good enough? Are you too much? Are you too loud? Should you be quiet? Is this a meek and gentle spirit? Is it, are you a visionary? Are you not a visionary? Are you asking for too much money? Are you not asking for enough money? Is somebody playing you? Are you being played all the dang time? Mm-hmm. Yep, and absolutely. I actually learned I a like- mantra from you. I learned <laughs> in, in your women's coaching cohort, uh, I learned a mantra uh, going into those hard places. And I've shared it um, with many um, and I've shared it with a lot of men and they've been like, this is fantastic. And they've used it. And your mantra was, I have nothing to defend. I have nothing to prove. Uh, and I added at the end of it, I'm here only to serve. And it's it's been magic, Joe. It's been It's been magic because it just has realigned like, Yep, I'm not asking for permission to lead. Like I, the the permission's already been given by Jesus. Authority, power has already been given by Jesus, and and I can go in and like you're saying, be faithful, um, regardless of what other people think. And it, yeah. it just is so good. It's so good. And you know, uh, if someone's out there listening and they're like, I need to be more connected to Joe and get some of that Joe magic, um, and need to be coached alongside other women there's multiple avenues that you could be connected you can um, hop over to the lead stories podcast with joel and pastor steph uh, and you guys are talking about made for more right now and um and really helping uh women to see all that they were made for uh there's a rebirth of the ezra collective traveling the nation uh i think you're gonna be in portland here near me on november 15th it's on my calendar yes see you there yes 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 and then there's also the women's coaching cohort which i mean it was just absolutely invaluable it was the dead set time for me when i was i had my little legs under me shaking like a deer and was like okay i'm doing this and to have a community that was for that leadership made such a difference. So ladies, if you're listening and you need to be connected, I cannot recommend the women's coaching cohort more. Men, if you have women in your life that you're thinking, okay, yeah, I want to sacrifice. I want to send her. Uh, I could not recommend the women's coaching cohort more with Joe. It's just been life-changing for me. And like I said, Joe's been an absolute gift to me. Yeah, that's very gracious of you. That's so kind. Well, and apparently Helen too. <laughs> 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 and apparently Helen Helen had a very different experience of me <laughs> yeah <laughs> well Joe thank you so much for joining us this has just done my heart uh, well to just listen to the way that you call things out without shame you call things into light and have practical ways that we can step into that you know here at Forge we have been taking steps to say how do we continue to lead together and and we're not done there's work there is still work to be done to say that we're done would be ridiculous we have a lot of work to ahead of us to like you said reimagine our community to look like that early church where leaders are equally being um brought up our pipelines are there for um all sorts of people who are leading in the missional movement in different contexts in different ways so thank you so much for speaking into our community speaking into these issues and and just being a voice for for us thank you for listening to the forge america missional podcast forge america cultivates practitioners who join in the mission of god if you'd like to know more about us feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com